Hey everyone, this podcast is part of Story Mode, the podcast network of Gamefully Unemployed. You can support us and gain access to other great exclusive podcasts at patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. That's patreon.com slash g-a-m-e-f-u-l-l-y unemployed, which is spelled like it sounds. I'm getting everybody prepared. What are you doing? All right. Sorry, I just had a lot of coffee. Hi, everybody. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, my name is David Bell. Uh, my name is Tom Ryman. I am professional podcast guest Jason Pargin. Welcome. And we just watched Those Who Wish Me Dead, Firestorm 2. I'm not gonna hurt you. I wanna see where the blood's coming from. It's not my blood. You in trouble? Anyone else in trouble? My dad said if anything happened, I should find someone I can trust. Are you someone I can trust? Jason, have you seen Firestorm? I have not, but I can. Pick perfectly picture every frame of that film in my mind. Yes, <laughs> from, <Have you> s- <laughs> from its title and the context in which you brought it up, I can I could sit down and write you out almost word for word what occurs in the movie yeah. Firestorm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that it stars Howie Long? <laughs> Does that I, help your plot summary? He, yeah, he would be one of the the ten people I would have guessed, including Brian Bosworth and. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is he is the Brian Bosworth of 1998. Yeah, <laughs> I would have um, I would have arrived there eventually once I worked through all of the athletes and wrestlers who attempted movie <laughs> careers. Uh, Jason, welcome. Uh, thanks for being on. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't. <laughs> I, I feel under a strange pressure, either on Twitter or on podcasts or whatever, to sometimes maybe exaggerate uh, my just the difficulties that I'm having dealing with the pandemic and just in general. Right now, today, doing okay. Been a pretty good nice. day. Been a pretty decent week. Things definitely seem like they're turning a the corner out there. I've got both my vaccinations. I got to admit, I'm doing, I'm doing, doing pretty well. That's good to hear. I'm doing all right. Yeah, you uh, you emailed us and and uh, uh, said, "Have you guys seen those who wish me dead?" Uh, this was a weekend uh, full of new movies, like Army of the Dead, uh, and and uh, what what else? What just came out? Uh, uh, Spiral. Spiral was out last weekend. And we'll eventually get to them, but we were like, absolutely, we would love to talk about those who wish we dead with you, uh, and I'm so glad we did. Yeah, uh, uh, just real quick for for the the people listening at home, this is the process of how we get Jason on as a guest: is he will email us out of the blue, "Hey, have you seen this movie?" And it's like, <laughs> and then no, it becomes but I an can't episode. wait. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, because it's never a movie I liked. It's never <laughs> right. It's never a good thing, for the most part. When I, when I ask, like, hey, have you seen this this Mel Gibson movie that he made with this director who may be a white nationalist? Like, it's not. 
uh, yeah. So, and again, let, let me say, but before we say the things we are about to say about this film, uh, this movie, if Rose familiar, and it, it's a major release, Angel Jolie stars, uh, it's a well-known uh, writer, director, at big budget would have been in another year, it probably, you know, would have been a theatrical release that was out for, you know, would have had attention for a few weeks, but in this, this was part of the HBO max deal. So it got dumped directly to streaming on the same day. Right. Same yeah, I was going to say, I believe this is one of their dual HBO theatrical releases. Like, yeah, this is in theaters if you were, for some reason, uh, yeah. <laughs> d- determined on buying a ticket to watch it. Well, the point is, it's a real movie. It's not yeah, something we. Yes, it's, it's not something we we dug up like this dumb thing that like got dumped to streaming. It's a real movie that in another year would have been one of the 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 main like summer releases, not a yeah. Marvel level movie, but it would have definitely been like. The, like you, you'll see multiple famous faces in this, and and so on. But I do want to say, before we say the many impolite things we're about to say about this movie, <laughs> I we fully, fully understand that all of the movies that are out right now were finished during the pandemic. The, yeah. These are things where, for the most part, they were they probably finished principal photography right before lockdowns, and then had to do all of the post production stuff, all of the effects work, the sound dubbing, sound mixing, editing, all of that probably remotely. Um, staff shortages. It had to have been extremely difficult to get this movie finished, any movie finished, at all. So I am going to try to avoid being mean about any of the things that were probably just due to, to that, due to limitations. Like over the weekend, some people noticed in Army of Dead, there's a lot of like unfinished effects work and some weird technical glitches. That stuff, I think, was just purely due to uh, 2,000 people working at home trying to render effects frame by frame. Yeah, <laughs> and there right. was bound to be some things go wrong. I, I do not doubt it was a nightmare getting any movie, even an objectively, hilariously terrible movie like this made. <laughs> so we do understand it, it's, it is an achievement to make a movie at all. And it had to have been very difficult for the people involved. With that in mind, it it's cheap to write a movie initially. Uh, That's the and there's some part. things in this movie that I am very curious are, about why are, they made those decisions. We are those are the uh, only have, notes I have. The only notes I have yes. are about the screenplay. <laughs> Yeah, we are right. going to have many things to say about that, but I just wanted that disclaimer right off, right off the top. Sure. Well, and this, what fascinated me is I just learned this right now, sitting down to record this podcast. The writer director is Taylor Sheridan, who is coming off of Oscar noms for Hell or High Water. Um, he wrote Sicario, one of the yeah, great of action the... scripts <laughs> and and resulting action movies that you're going to see. Like that, that mm-hmm. came from the same writer is fascinating to me. Yes, uh, one of the other writers is the writer of K-Pax. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, there we go. But also in Blood Diamond and the Warcraft movie and in the Heart of the Sea. So I don't know what that says about anything. So where do you start with a movie like this i guess you can just begin do you normally just begin with explaining the premise for people that have not seen it yet because again if you have hbo max it's free it's free to watch you it's included watch it. yeah it's yeah uh, it was and it's also in theaters if you want to see it that mm-hmm. way it, i think if it I, I have not looked at box office it was probably number one or tied for number one at the box office this, this week or right behind you know or, uh, 
Army of the Dead, I assumed, was that a Netflix exclusive or is that also getting theatrical? I think did I believe it's getting it, a theatrical, like, yeah. Yeah, didn't it, it, it like go out at, at like like Cinemart? Uh, like, didn't they? I don't what? know. I, I, I thought it was like some exclusive. Um, oh, maybe I'm not sure. It's yeah, so, Cinemark did like like a week earlier or something. It's so weird these days because yeah, it's it's, it, it's interesting. That's a question now. It's like how you'll, where is this movie? You like you'll be f- flipping through Amazon Prime and you'll see a movie like Greenland, starring um, Gerard Butler. Yeah, Gerard Butler, and it's like an end-of-the-world movie. And it, that could be anything from a $150 million blockbuster to a cheap direct-to-streaming knockoff garbage movie, like an asylum-level movie, to a small indie thing made for $5 million. And it just presents itself the same way. Like, once upon a time, there was a specific tier of how movies like you know you would not mistake the avengers for anything else that came out that week now it's weird that it all just shows up on your your tv screen as like a thumbnail and the only way you know that you've stumbled across like a major release is occasionally you'll get like a ridiculous 20 dollar rental like that bob odenkirk nobody movie like that's on amazon prime it's like 20 dollars for 48 hours it's like okay well i'm not i'm not doing that but but it's like oh that must be a huge release they must that must be like what they consider to be a huge hit for the summer they must have thought that was a big deal and then some other thing just shows up on pops up on netflix and if you didn't know any better it's like army of the dead is that just something they slapped together or was that supposed to be one of the tentpole blockbusters of the summer and the answer is i don't know it's all just on netflix it's, it's just right. thrown on there with like the or do you want to watch this or do you want to watch frazier again it's yeah, like it's just, terrible it, at featuring it, stuff also like the presence of the these actors doesn't mean anything either because it feels like more and more actors will just like do like five movies a year and like like Angelina Jolie, she's going to be in the Eternals, you know, like she's going to be in these big, important movies. But she also will just do like, a, you know, direct to streaming or whatever or whatever the equivalent of direct to DVD is these days, which, as you're pointing out, is like it's really hard to tell what that is. Yeah. The difference um, between a release that would have gone into like that little wire bin at the grocery store where yeah. they would have like DVDs where it's like. Four action movies for six dollars. Yeah, all. It's like, like like six different Jesse Stone movies starring Tom Selleck. <laughs> it's it's a Dennis Rodman action box set. <laughs> all the movies Dennis Rodman was in from Simon Says to whatever I can't name any other Dennis Rodman action movies. I, mean, uh, I think that was the only one he had like uh, versus should probably something talk, let's talk about that this was movie. like versus something that was like an Oscar season bait and it all just looks the same it, it's important because this is a movie like I saw the trailer for this and if you can watch the trailer for those who wish me dead it is a slick trailer like it looks to me it looked good like this is a real right. movie with real performances it has a good cast yeah the cast good cast this movie is crazy. Yeah, uh, John uh, Bernthal, the the Punisher guy, his last name. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then the two bad guys are Nicholas Holt, Littlefinger, uh, fucking Tony and Tyler Perry. <laughs> oh yeah, and Tyler Perry is in it for a scene. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, big cast, big uh, premise. It, so it's you know action movie. It, like you don't get Angelina Jolie out to to lead in your action movie just every day. So it looked like a, a serious, real movie. And so when I watched it, and I actually watched it with my wife, and we were just like, a few minutes in, she's like, "Oh, I think this is like." hilariously bad like we didn't sit down to watch it to make fun of it because you do that no. you're in a certain mindset you're there to kind of like oh okay no this looks like, like a real movie <laughs> like to yeah. sit down and watch and it, stuff just keeps happening you kind of forgive it and you think well that scene was kind of awkward uh, that, that probably could have been cut and then after a while it's like what this is like a mystery science theater 3000 level yeah movie. This, yeah this is this is a boilerplate thriller which is a term it, it basically means it's run-of-the-mill thriller but that for people at home who may not have heard that term because it doesn't really get used that often anymore anyway um but it's one of those movies that it's a thriller that takes a like an hour to set all of its pieces up and then all of a sudden we're in the climax it's like we get to the finale you're like wait i'm waiting for the movie to start <laughs> Yes, it um, just, uh, just I I have to point out I I watched this morning, the movie Firestorm, because I needed I I just needed to remember the movie after watching this movie. Firestorm also, is a better structured film. Yeah, the nineteen ninety eight Firestorm it makes more sense. It actually has some clever things in it. Um, it begins the exact same way. Both of these movies begin with smoke jumpers. Um, fighting a fire and right. having like a tragedy. We should explain what the story is. It's also yeah. like you could have also watched Cliffhanger. It's like the same yeah. story. This those this movie, those who wish me dead. I at first I was like, oh, it's going to be like a '90s action. That's quaint. That's a good idea. And then it was like, oh, it's it's like that, but broken. Like mm -hmm. it's it's like that. Like they introduced Tyler Perry as the big bad guy. And then he never shows back up in the movie. We're, it's things like that. We'll we'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> for right. sure. So, uh, somebody summarize the plot. Just some, for those we gotta summarize the plot. Okay, I I will do it. I will do All it. All right. All right. Okay. So the movie is uh, Angie plays a a smoke jumper who has been grounded for failing her last psych test because she. She she witnessed a, a horrible tragedy the previous summer. A wildfire ra raged out of control. She froze. Some kids died. She blames herself, uh, and they basically sprung a psych evaluation on her like days after it happened uh, to blame her for it. So she is grounded and has to sit in a fire watch tower um, rather than be on call to jump out of an airplane. Um, meanwhile. Um, this dude uh, and his son um, have to go on the run because we find out he's a forensics accountant and he discovered something, some irregularity. Uh, his boss, the DA, gets murdered by Nicholas Holt and Littlefinger in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, who, incidentally, I'm, I'm looking at the plot summary as I'm reading this. They're supposed to be brothers. Did you guys catch that? <laughs> what? They're no. supposed to be brothers. They're supposed to be brother assassins. That's amazing. Yep. I don't even think they ever tell you Littlefinger's name. Yeah. Uh, or no, wait, they do. They tell you his name is Jack. They don't tell you what Nicholas Holt's name is. I don't think you ever hear it. Anyway. No. <laughs> um, it, uh, so they're assassins trying to kill uh, this guy and his son. Um, they chase him down and kill him, but the kid gets away, and he gets away with the information that his dad found. And he gets to Angie. Angie has to help him. 
uh, get to uh, the authorities. Meanwhile, Nicholas Holt and Littlefinger set the forest on fire to basically create cover for themselves uh, because the situation has gone out of control. So like, okay, we're going to have kind of a high body count with this one. Let's start a fire to cover our tracks so we can get it and get out. Um, there's a subplot involving the kid's aunt and uncle, which utterly doesn't matter. We're going to talk about that. Um, yeah. But ultimately, uh, Angie gets the kid to safety. Uh, the two bad guys are killed. Uh, the day is saved. That's the movie. Yeah. Who are you calling Angie in your summary? Oh, Angelina Jolie. Do people call her Angie? I think so. Okay. Do they not? I thought I thought they did. Anyway, uh, that, I, I, I was I was calling her that now for the purpose of saving you know fractions yeah. of a second on my plot now, summary. The the movie you described to someone who's not seen this movie sounds fine. It sounds fine. That's a good premise. Somebody gave you that script. It's like that's that's you can imagine in your head a bunch of really strong action set and it's pieces. It's based on a novel, apparently. So based on a novel that they totally change. If you go to Amazon and look at the novel, you'll find they totally changed the plot and totally changed the relationships. I am glad to hear that because I was looking at this like this is broken at the writing level. So this this so, author has some right. explaining to do. For example, it, this this fundamentally breaks a lot of kind of storytelling screenwriting 101 things for example as you mentioned it, it, the thing with the, like the way it's structured you could cut the first 30 minutes of this movie mm-hmm. and lose yes. nothing so like the scene it comes th- it's half hour into the movie when uh and little finger the actor's name is aiden aiden gillen yeah gillen he like 30 minutes in, he and his brother, it turns out. apparently his brother. Yeah. Are, are setting up, they, they decide, they finally are setting up an ambush to kill the guy who has the information, uh, this forensic accountant. The guy comes along, he's in a car with the son, and they shoot his car, kill him, and the son escapes. That could have been your opening scene, and you would have lost nothing. Yeah, the... Um you could have the even opening, started it with her in the fire tower and the kid coming up. But anyway, yeah. The, the first 20 minutes, they introduce a bunch of characters who that don't we never see again. They spend, uh, and they spend, I, I know like we're going to talk not about Not only it, do they yeah. not matter, but they literally, they do that thing where the, the, the firefighters are like making fun of that guy at the bar and she does that weird parachuting thing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, look at these roughnecks. They're so badass. All of those people at the bar never show back up in the movie. No. They, I think they show back up at the, at very, the very end to end. rescue them. The very end, yeah. And it's like they don't have to be characters. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't need to know who they are. You didn't need to set them up. Uh, they don't do anything. And you could like let's say the movie just started with those the two brothers setting up. You see them setting up. You don't know what they're setting up. They're they're talking like they're they're saying like we'll spend six minutes between cars. That should be enough time. Like you're curious. Like what are they doing? Right. You see this guy driving with his son. He's nervous about something. He's got the kid in the car. He pulled. It becomes clear from the conversation he, he pulled the kid out of school. Kid's asking questions. He won't answer. He's evasive. What's this guy nervous about? Suddenly, he pulls up, and then these two guys just machine gun the hell out of his car, just riddle his car with bullets, kill him. He runs off. The kid runs away. They're shooting after him. Like, if that's your opening scene, as a viewer, you're now curious yeah. Who were those guys? Who was that guy? Why were they why were they trying to kill him? Then the kid runs through the woods and as Tom said, he runs across this tower 
and runs into this burnout. This, you know, because it's clear that fire watch duty is where they stick people. Like you're literally just sitting in the tower waiting for a fire to start. You have nothing else to do. And say she's up there uh, drunk or something. Yeah, she, Boom. she now is. You, in point you, of fact, <laughs> yeah, you introduce her character. That's the first time you see her. You can everything with the way she's behaving, the job she's doing, the way she looks, everything would tell you who she is. You and you find out on the fly, like this kid desperately needs help. This is the only person who can help him. Boom, there's your movie. Everything about how she got there, the kid's background, all of that you can learn now as you go, now that you've started the plot. This movie right. instead has 30 minutes of setup. That as Tom said, it doesn't it doesn't pay off. Like it's nope, stuff no. that doesn't it's like a bunch of backstory with so they've done that that thing you mentioned the movie Cliffhanger, which nails it because it's that action. It's that for those who do not remember the '90s, <laughs> there were a wave of action movies that were either like disaster movies or it was basically like a crime versus nature movie. There was like a, a heist movie where there was a flood going on that Christian Slater was in it. Hard there was rain. A Nick, Hard rain. A Nick Cage movie where there was like a casino heist during a, a hurricane. And then there was, well, Cliffhanger was Sylvester Stallone. There's like some, some, some evil bank robbers or whatever. And, but he's a mountain climber, a professional mountain rescue guy. And then they they they're again that their stories intersect, but it's basically man versus nature versus heist people, versus criminals man, of yeah. some kind. Yeah, yeah. It, it, these. So you need flamboyant criminals uh, like uh, Jonathan Lithgow was the bad guy in Cliffhanger, and then you the rest of what's interesting about it is kind of getting into the subculture of these mountain climbers or whatever. Yeah. Or in this and case, the, the smoke the jumpers. Dif- the different ways that. Like, you know, when they're not getting and and Firestorm and Cliffhanger does this, this movie does not do this, which is something one of the notes I wrote down is the action scenes where they have to deal with the bad guys are interspersed with scenes like, okay, the bad guys are gone, but we're still in serious trouble because we're we're dealing with the elements. We're in extreme elements. Yeah. So there's there's situations like you'll go from an action sequence to like. Uh, a desperate survival sequence. And this, now, I as dumb as both of those movies are, they do those things. Because this there's a scene to. where they, Angelina Jolie, and what's the, the child's name who she has to rescue? Connor, I think. What? Connor, yeah. Connor, okay. Where they have to cross an open field. That was and, cool. And the lightning is trying to assassinate them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and a neat idea on the page, but... Yeah. It's a weird thing where it's like Zeus is trying to snipe them with lightning as they, they run across. And then she gets hit in like the foot with the lightning bolt. Right. Yeah. It's like she's fine. And then well, she, she gets ha- grazed. With she the falls lightning. down and has to like, like check her foot. And then the lightning stops so they can, her and the boy can have a conversation about it. They, they forget. Yeah. The movie forgets that it's in an action scene. Yeah. They, it, it they run like it from it like it's a t-rex she seems to instantly know that the lightning it means to hurt them because the lightning strikes and she's like okay we gotta we gotta run and then you run and we switch running and it's like just go around the field or like it's lightning like it doesn't or wait like, yeah, for you the could storm get struck, to stop but yeah it's not it's yeah but they like run through the field like yeah like they're being chased then when she gets hit the yeah the the scene just stops. It just stops. The action they're just still stops. in the field. They're still in the they're field. Still in the they're field. still the danger isn't gone, but it is. It's. Uh, okay, but my point is, it's like that's the only time really 
uh, that it, in like, the end. At, the, at the very end but even then the very end it's more of just like it's a thing there that they can kick the bad guy into <laughs> yeah right it's it's like they're having a fight above a pit of spikes like that's well, as, that's as much as the fire ever matters in this they movie they do they do have to hide in the water and they try the movie i feel like this movie they got notes where it was like we want it to be like this movie and this movie and this movie and this movie so the movie has a twister moment at the end where she's in the fire right and they and even have a line where she was like i was in the eye i of looked it. I was it like, right in the is eye is that a thing like it's fire she says it was beautiful and <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah no it just looked like fire it looked we like saw a lot it. of fire like i've yeah. seen wildfire yeah it's not like a tornado we're getting inside of it yeah. is mysterious it's just the inside of a fire but you're yeah. just under a fire other than that scene and the very end of the movie the fire in this movie does not matter like it never affects the plot it never really affects anyone's decision making it's it's <laughs> the, incredible how little the fire matters is am i incorrect on this does the last half hour of the movie maybe even longer take place within the same like half mile radius yes like they just they get to the fire tower and the movie just stays at the fire tower. pretty much pretty much yeah which by the way i looked this up lightning does not the, the fire t- towers are built for lightning. I was going to say, you think they would be. <laughs> yeah, okay. there's a whole subplot where the, it gets the, hit the by lightning and she has to jump lightning. off the side yeah, of it. Yeah, it's like a serious like, problem. I'm like, has yeah, this never like, happened before? <laughs> yeah, I, I Googled it. And there's like a, a, there's a whole, you can find a whole pamphlet on how these things are designed yeah. <laughs> to be hit by lightning. It's right, literally the highest included. point in the region yeah. it has to be so they can see where there's yeah. a fire starting it's it's the highest point on the tallest mountain at the very tippy top they put a tower there so that you're the highest thing it would get struck by lightning constantly on the every yeah, time a there's a storm thing. It, yeah it's designed so that the like it doesn't things don't short out the people inside don't get it's the safest place to be uh, during a lightning storm this it is seems not like a nitpick because the entire plot hinges on she is has to go to the her fire tower. It gets hit by lightning. There's an action scene where she has to jump out to avoid the lightning and like grab a thing and like a, it's a Sylvester Stallone type scene, like a jumping yeah. out of a tower thing and fall to the ground. That lightning disables all of her communication and eliminates her ability to. She she ha, she's she's stranded there for so like the fact that the kid comes and encounters her and she has no transportation to take them back to town, the entire plot hinges around the fact that she had no transportation and no communication, no cell phone, no radio, no anything, because her tower got hit by lightning. And right. the entire rest of the plot occurs only because of that. Yeah. Right. And the entire rest of the plot, by the way, is they go a little ways away from the tower and then have to turn back and come back to the tower. <laughs> yep. That's the film. And then the bad guys show up and they have to leave the tower again. <laughs> yep. And then but not too far from the not tower. Not too far from the tower. They, at the very end, they walk back to the tower That's to get true. rescued. They walk back to the tower <laughs> yeah. to, to pick up the Punisher's dead body. Uh, and that's... That's me sweatily uh, segueing into another thing that I really want to talk about, which is the utter pointlessness of John Bernthal in this movie. <laughs> Isn't he has a whole ass storyline, and he's the kid's uncle. Did you guys catch yeah. that? I had oh, yeah. no idea he he's was the, the kid's, kid's uncle. 
uncle. What that's, why, that's why the what dad is driving out there. Coincidence. <laughs> because he doesn't, the kid doesn't seek him out. No, he the just kid never responds across. to him. Which makes me wonder if it was like a reshoot or something, because they, there's like two different scenes where Bernthal plays like a sheriff's deputy. The dad is driving out to meet him because like, well, I can't talk to the regular cops because the DA had police protection. He got murdered. So I got to talk to this this cop who I trust because he's family. Um, that's the whole reason he's going. He's driving out to this wooded area is to talk to John Bernthal. But there's yeah. two different scenes where. Bernthal essentially plays, if you've seen Cliffhanger, he's the Michael Rooker character. The bad guys hijack him and use him as their guide for a time. Um, he gets into the fire tower and has a conversation with Angelina and the kid. And at no point does the kid say Uncle Ethan. Like, he doesn't react right. to the kid as if the kid is his family. Like, they just have a conversation. And then, like, before that, the kid's looking through the binoculars and seeing Burnthal up front getting led by the two bad guys and all he says is yeah those are the two guys that killed my dad he doesn't say like there's my uncle he'll help us like right. they never also, have a connection like that yeah and Burnthal the 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 idea that the bad guy's using him as a guide he doesn't he doesn't do help anything. them really yeah they they he make covers- him climb the tower and all I can think <laughs> is like why don't you climb the tower? Doesn't that seem easier? Well, okay. they they're like climb the tower, and if there's no one up there, light it on fire. I got. They don't want to get bushwhacked. Like if she's waiting up there with an yeah. axe, like they, they're going to get hit the second they stick their heads to the bottom. So that's why they sent him up there. Okay, so it, we, we we need to back up because again yeah. we skipped over another <laughs> weird thing. They the bad guys take uh, John Bernthal's character at gunpoint and say we need you to track. This the only reason they need him is they need you to like track this little boy and whoever's helping him for us. Yeah, right. It, because they, I guess they're even though they're professional assassins, they're not good at tracking things through the woods. I guess, or maybe they don't know yeah. the terrain. He does. He leads them right to that tower. He, yeah, he sure does. He, <laughs> That's he, true. he could easily have just like taken them to a creek and said, oh, "Now the tracks extend right here. They must have swam or something, or drowned. I don't right. know. Like I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. The, the tracks end right here. Like you can't see the tracks. We both agreed you don't know how to track. I, for some reason, as a sheriff's deputy in the woods, do know how to track people through through the mud. I guess like, like I can identify this kid's prints from animals or anything else through this underbrush. And I'm telling you, this is this is all I've got. Like I don't he could have just led them in circles. He could have taken right. them anywhere, but no, he takes them to that tower. Yeah. And then once he gets there, he's like uh or at one point he's he's like, no, you know what, I'm just not gonna do this. You'll have to go ahead and shoot me. And then they have like a fight and then he agrees to keep helping them after that yeah and and again the the entire advancement of the plot depends on this weird set of decisions where it's like okay so what what were they going to do if he doesn't get to that and the fact that like angelina jolie doesn't have a car for some reason or doesn't have a truck there at the tower that's the entire plot like the, the guys hunting her if the kid had found Angelina Jolie and she just takes them to her vehicle and then drives them into town to the police station, they're screwed. Yeah, yeah. movie's over. Their movie's entire, over. Or if her radio um, worked. Their entire yeah. plan, like the whole thing with like, well, well, we'll start a forest fire. That'll help. It's like, well, only if you somehow know that her tower got struck by right. lightning, know right. that she doesn't have a cell phone and can't get to us. Not if she makes a, a phone call, well, yeah. Uh, 
I, I, all right. This leads me to one of the bigger details of this movie is that the bad guys are hilariously bad. Yes, they are. They're dressed in suits. Yeah. Um, we haven't mentioned that the what Littlefinger, who I thought was the main bad guy, dies like thirty minutes before the movie ends after he gets shot by a pregnant woman. Yes. Who every time they have someone, um, because we haven't mentioned that the Punisher's wife, pregnant wife, is supposedly being held hostage and they when they find her she dispatches them easily she burns his goddamn face they reminded me of the wet bandits in home alone yeah like they just slowly keep getting more and more fucked up Mm -hmm. and they're very incompetent and then and then that scene where they're taking uh the punisher and he just stops and he's like you know what I'm bored. You guys can just kill me. And then he like bullies them a bit and like roughs them up and they still like they still don't shoot him. Uh they they are the worst at this. And they are truly bad. And lighting the forest on fire, they're trying to find a specific kid in the forest and they need to confirm his death for their boss. Lighting the forest on fire is not going to help them. It's going to make their their job worse and just Isn't from it? like a screenwriting point of view like forget about the logistics for a moment uh, complaining that it's not realistic fine whatever it's not sure. that for me it's yeah. the fact that like you have the two characters aiden gillen is the lead the main bad guy mm-hmm. he, and then the his brother his uh, is clearly his <laughs> psychic has half as many lines like they're following little fingers lead at every step he's yeah. the main right. bad guy the henchman his other guy is just there to help him the main bad guy dies, like you said, with a lot of movie left. And then the main bad guy becomes the, his brother, who you don't, is just this bland guy we, who's yeah, just again, been kind we of... Don't know, we don't ever hear his name. No, it's he, Nicholas, it's Holt, Nicholas Holt, like, yeah. with this weird haircut mm-hmm. and like looking real scruffy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he doesn't talk much. Has no character. There's no like defining, you know, like a lot of movies like The Henchman, you know, if this had been like a Guy Ritchie movie, The Henchman's got a nickname and a distinct face and a scar or something cool about him. Right. Like, you know, so the, it's it, he's like flamboyant. Like it's guys that, you know, they're bursting with personality. That That's how you write a movie like this. That's why you yeah. cast someone like John Lithgow to be your bad guy. Like, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. he's... Or Milo in The Last Boy Scout. Sure. Yeah. The king I, of this. Yeah, the king just, of it. Yeah, just the same this deal. incredibly greasy, just this slimy, awful, everything about the yeah. way they delivered the lines. That's what you need. So here, your only antagonist left is just this bland guy you almost feel sorry for because he's just... yeah. He's just there on a job. He doesn't. It's gone horribly wrong. They don't even. They have no chance of accomplishing their thing at this point. And so it's kind of, he he gets like killed like brutally by Angelina Jolie and a child, neither of whom are yeah. trained to fight at all. It doesn't matter. He has no chance. Yeah. He he goes to kill the kid and takes forever to walk up to him to like slit his throat or something, and he just gets axed in the back. Yeah, and then they're just—they don't even bother she, killing yeah, him. She, they're just like, let the fire kill him. She and massacres then, his ass with a climbing axe, and then he yeah. just gets just lazily killed by the forest fire. Yeah, the it's fire just rolls over him. The child doesn't care at all that he just watched Nobody a man burn to death. This. Yeah, they're not yeah. like she's not a murderer. Like she's right. just a a, a, a kind of 
a firefighter who's had a, a, a traumatic experience. Like she's not somebody who you would normally think can just dispassionately murder right. someone with a climbing axe. I a climbing kept waiting axe for is like wicked serrated. If if it, please listeners, Google climbing axe to understand the yeah. tool she uses to hack this man to death. There are slasher movies that have less terrifying weapons yeah. <laughs> than the thing she uses because it takes a lot of blows to kill this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I kept waiting for like, like remember when they set up the kid with the horse? Remember the horse scene? Oh my god! There's two horse scenes. There's two horse his, scenes, John and they don't imagine. Pregnant wife takes a horse to to ride to uh, victory. This was the sort of movie where you think you're seeing the pieces get set up, and it yeah. turns out because the kid they stop in a field at the beginning, mm-hmm. and the kid goes out to pet a horse, and, and they, they make they a moment long, out of it. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought, oh, are they setting up right. later he's that gonna he's going to have gonna... to ride a horse or something? Right. Or nope. that he's going to see Nicholas Holt at the end and go like, I can't kill this guy. You know, I thought they were setting up some sort of like, oh, he's, you know, like. He's like sensitive. He's compassionate. Something. But nope, none, none of that. Nothing. That scene where he pets a horse doesn't need to be in the movie. Yes. Uh, it's, it's so weird. But my... The last thing I, I really, because this this John Bernthal, his whole storyline yeah, 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 is so yeah. baffling to me. The last he thing does I really not wanted impact to... the story at no! all. No, he connects, and that's the wild thing is they they spend the time to establish that he has connections to both characters. Right, he used to date Angelina Jolie like a hundred years ago, and he's kind of the only person left in town who will still tell her the way it is. You know what I mean? Like right. Her her friends are kind of like letting her carry on. He's the only one who's like, you they, need to, you need to cut this out and get your shit together. He, yeah, he arrests her at the beginning, which yeah. is to establish that he is not going to go easy on her. Right. Yeah. But they don't meet again until a brief scene in the Firewatch Tower. That's the only other scene they have together. And, uh, yes, and like they also that- establish that he's the kid's uncle, and that doesn't matter. Like nothing he does affects the storyline at all the way he acts with her and the kid it's identical to if he'd just been a cop right had no they'd never met them before like he goes up in the tower and does not murder them on the as the criminals want him to do it's like oh well it's because he used to date her and and he's this kid's uncle it's like well no it's because he's 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 not a psychopath right (laughs) he's not a murderer yeah Yeah, no he doesn't go up there and do their he's he's a cop like even if he was a corrupt cop he wouldn't go up there on behalf of these criminals and kill a woman and a child he's never met so it doesn't his relationship doesn't impact this this is what i was saying in the beginning this is why i wanted to talk about this movie it violates like 25 different storytelling 101 rules like establishing like there's not like this moral choice he has to make at all it doesn't none of the emotional core none of that those ties do anything in the end of the movie he just winds up with him like hunkered down in the fire in the fire tower like wearing like breathing apparatus with his wife and is like well i hope the fire doesn't burn us and he's yeah. like totally powerless. He, he can't take any action to save himself. He has no interaction with the bad guys, Angelina and Julie. He does not help save the kid, does not do anything. He f- yeah. spends the last part of the movie just kind of like waiting for the fire to pass. And it just kind of, and he survives just by, by coincidence because the fire, it turned up fire oh. towers, fireproof or whatever. And, and that's it. He, he doesn't survive. That's like the additional baffling thing. <laughs> when they get right. there, when they get there, 
Like the guy, they get up to the tower. They split off into two teams. Like one, they go like her her friend firefighter goes to have a moment with like Angie and the kid, and they have like a a, a, a finale moment of like ah, uh, that's where she says I saw the looked it in the eye and it was beautiful. And then like two of the other guys go up to the fire tower to save Bernthal and his wife, and they're like tending to her and and starting to go to him, and she's like got tears in her eyes, and she says you you don't need to rush with him. She you says, can take your time with him. They're like yeah. They she says there's no rush. Yeah. Um, Oh, I, I'm so, I had so no idea who died. I, yeah, did, no, no. I totally missed that. I'm so glad this this is happening because my notes were: Did he die? Question mark. Because I was right in between you two. I yeah. was like, I am not sure if he died just now. Pretty sure because he's dead. She says, "Yeah." They say the metafacts coming, and she looks up and she's sad, and she says, "There's no rush." To which I was like, "Oh, does that mean he's dead?" But like the way a movie works is that they would spend more time on right. that fact. <laughs> they, they would, would show spend more time with them him. wheel his body out and Angelina Jolie be sad or someone. But no. Which right. They establish that he has personal connections to both of these main characters and they yeah. do not show the either character react to his death at all. Yeah. For a movie that makes you, who, who makes sure like five times we know her backstory with those kids in the fire, like they do at the flashback back like three times they have her tell the story twice i didn't think they were gonna like they're gonna drill it all into your head they yada yada the ending so much yeah um i want to i want to point out because you're talking about how this is like it goes against screenwriting rules i just want to make this very clear not on purpose because there's a lot of movies that will do it like tarantino or like you know, like there's a lot of movies they'll set up like a big bad guy and then he'll die anticlimactically, and it's the point. That's the point. Yeah, uh, this is not that, Mm-mm. and I need to make that very clear. Mm-hmm. It's it seems like it, it really it like it's almost like the screenwriter did write it that way, and then they didn't shoot it that way or something, that, because uh, they they spend they front load the movie so much, and then everything just fizzles out. There's. Uh, it feels like there's a little, like you could see a little bit of that with some of the dialogue between the bad guys who are apparently brothers. Like if if right. you're if you're paying attention to the dialogue, because it really doesn't come through too much in the performance. But like Aiden Gillen starts to get a little more desperate, and it becomes a little more clear that Nicholas Holt's kind of the more uh, clinically minded person. But they, they don't they don't really lean into that. He keeps saying stuff like "I'm fading fast." Yeah. And- I hate it here, where it's like after he got his face burnt, yeah, he needs oh, that, to go to the hospital. That's something I want to. This is this is just almost a nitpick, but like this really baffled me. That's just real quick. That scene where she burns them with the bear mace because yeah. it looks cool. Because like she she like whips up the bear mace can and points at the fire and little fingers like you're pointing it the wrong way. She's like, no, I'm not. And she sprays it into the fire to ignite the chemicals and then sprays the fire at him. It's like so they're on fire for like a couple of seconds. It's yeah. like. Lady, just hit him with the mace. There, that problem is gonna like that would have taken. You can blind somebody with that. Like that would have taken yeah. them both out for the rest of the night. More oh, like yeah. if you just bear hit mace? them with the regular well, mace. It, it would have taken her out too. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, it, you can cut. Well, I'm about to say you can cut this whole segment from the final cut of the podcast <laughs> if you want because. I want to circle back and make a general point that's not specifically about this movie. I know I can make podcast recordings very long doing this kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's all good. It's fine. When people like me, everyone on this podcast has written fiction before. I, yeah. I, I do it for a living. Uh, 
David Bell has a, a movie that's going to come out. I'm very confident uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's going to get made. It, we've all written fiction. We've all we've spent a lot of time worrying about story structure, thinking about it, trying to be good at it. Okay, it's when we talk about why well, say that this movie violates screenwriting 101 rules. Let me be clear what I'm talking about. Because when you complain about movie structure or saying a movie has bad structure, it can sound like you want every movie to be the same. That It's that thing that you get in screenwriting books where it's like, well, on page 73, the, the main character has to have their epiphany. <laughs> or, no. <laughs> or in your romantic comedy, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's at this on page 78, they have to have their false breakup. They have to have the misunderstanding that caused them to break up and then they'll get back together for real. Yeah, it's the that's hero's low point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Bad story structure means fundamental things where, for example, you are supposed to be shocked by something that had not been properly explained beforehand, where, where there's a twist, but it wasn't set up. And so you're just confused. Like the emotion they want you to feel, you don't feel it because they did not give you the proper information. That stuff to me is not subjective. That is objective. Yeah, so a, a move- third, uh, sorry, a third of the people doing this podcast didn't know a character died at the end. Uh, like, you're yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we're, not, we're not clear. We are not in 100% agreement over whether or not John Bernthal yeah. dies at the end of this movie. Yeah. So, and you will see movies, a lot of the movies you've watched where it seemed like it was kind of good. It had a lot of like funny moments or cool moments, but you kind of forgot about it five minutes after. Usually that's because it had poor structure. And when you say, well, I don't care about structure. What matters more is like character and, and you know, the emotions. That's what structure is. The structure is saying, did you take the time to set up this emotional connection? Did you take the time to make it clear why doing this matters to this character? If this character at the end of trying to escape, just to, to randomly throw out just off the top of my head, like if they were carrying out a heist in a zombie infested Las Vegas and if a character at the very end should decide on their way out of escaping the city, I'm going to, I need to go back in and do a thing instead of escaping the nuclear bomb that's about fallen city. You need to have previously established, should that ever come up in a movie you guys are about to watch, you, you need to have previously established why it's important to that character. Otherwise as the viewer, you now are just mad at this character for doing this dumb thing. Right. You yeah. need to, this is why in Pulp Fiction, like there's this whole thing with the gold watch and the flashback. And it seems like when you're watching it, just a funny, like a, this goofy monologue about a gold watch. But then when he comes out of it and you see what happens, you now understand why he has to go back and get that gold watch. Why right. he has to and put we don't his own even, life on the line. And they've established like that, that it, it, the, just the quick, seemingly goofy scene establishes it so well like you don't even need to see bruce willis's full reaction like as soon as she as soon as he's like where's the watch like the audience is like oh like they know yeah. he's about to freak out because we've you've done the work to set up that with the connection he has to it yes and the whole thing with his identity as like the whole masculine aspect that it was his father's war hero but he's not and that like you know that he is, his life is kind of like that this is his legacy that he's left behind he's been careless with this thing from his father but like that all of that is bundled up in there so a movie like pulp fiction has very unusual structure 
but it has good structure in that when you see this character doing this thing, you know why they're doing the thing. Those are the things this movie violates. And so I know every episode I'm on, maybe every episode you've ever done, we ask the question, why didn't you just make sure the script was good? <laughs> right. Like that should that is the least expensive it's part the of the cheapest part. Anyone on this podcast would have if they had come to any of the three of us and said, Will you do a rewrite on this this smoke jumper movie for seven hundred bucks? I think any of the three of us would have said, Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. They're, they're like, we've got Angelina Jolie attached. Or if they came to me and said, We've got all these John Bernthal, Angelina Jolie attached to this movie. We will let you do a rewrite of it if you pay us a thousand dollars. I would do it because yeah. the credit would mean that much to me. It gets going to get made. That's going to be like a big boost to my career, and just the opportunity to do it to work with these people. It, writers come pretty cheap. I, I'm telling yeah. you, especially now in the current environment, writers will work for, for pretty cheap. I'm yeah. I'm laughing because it's painful. It's cr- it's it is criminal <laughs> almost. I yes. do I do not doubt that people that actually make movies when they listen to us say that that they roll their eyes. That they come back and say if you really knew how movies are made in 2021 with all of the the feedback you're going to get from Angelina Jolie's people and from John Bernthal's people and from the producers and from whoever like all of these these cooks in the kitchen like making demands about this and well she can't be seen as doing that or well we need this blah 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 that it's this mess of a process i don't know how many screenwriters are listed on this i would be shocked if it was fewer three. than three three yeah um <laughs> but in you'll see action movies where it's six it's like six. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. any of the marble and then there, are, and then yeah. there's lots of times there's rewrites done by people that are not credited and in many cases when you show up on set and the your act your star says well i'm not doing that someone has to scramble just on the spot to come up with something and that doesn't get a screenwriting credit that's just something they had to do because they had rented that space for the rest of the day and it's like well how about this I get it. Like movies are a messier process than what we're making it sound like. I I don't doubt that this is a naive complaint in some ways. Thousands upon thousands of moving parts that each have their own needs that demand to be addressed. Here's the thing though, is that like the other idea about talking about structure, right? Um, Is that this type of movie has certain rules to it, certain cliches. Like if I was working on a similar movie to this um, with producers, and whenever there was a question of like, should we do this subversive thing? Should we do that? The producers always said the same thing, which always made me laugh. But they said, "We're we're look, we're trying to make a movie," uh, and that's all they would say. And I sort of knew what they meant, which is that like when you write make like cliffhanger, you're not you're you're not gonna kill Stallone. Right. You know, you're, not, you're not, not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're trying exactly. to make we're trying to make We're trying to make a goddamn movie here. <laughs> and that's what's so interesting about this movie is that like they don't do the things no. that this like a like a mediocre where they're like like the, immediately I was like okay so they're going to have to like walk to civilization. Nope. Nope. They turn like, around. That, yeah, they just keep going back and forth. Yeah. Uh, oh, that fire tower—that's gonna fall over, right? Like because you want to do the maximum well, set. Yeah. Piece. Or nope. you're like you're gonna have like, a cool scene in the Firewatch Tower. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Like they don't. It's an anti-action yeah. movie. Like it keeps fizzling out. 
they do it, it's just weird that with three screenwriters and probably like you're saying jason like all these yeah all these people coming in I mean, and being knows? like it has to be this and this it's weird that they they didn't make it like the action good or like well, make it exciting it, uh, it doesn't follow like it 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 doesn't do it's any so much of the setup right it doesn't do any of the thriller stuff yeah it, it's like i said at the top it spends so much time arranging its pieces and then all of a sudden the movie's over but the last yeah. thing I, the last thing i had written down that i really really wanted to make sure we talked about is related to what dave is talking about and it's i mean it's related to what everybody's talking about it's related to jason's problem with structure we are never told what the information was that this kid's dad discovered. We're never told who the... Oh, let, let, me, let me finish the thought. Okay, we're, never, yeah. we're never told what the information is. We're never told who the bad guys are. We're never told who these two assassins are working for. We're never told what exactly is going on. And that's... Well, okay like you can get away with that because to a certain point all we really need to understand is these two guys need to kill this kid um and there it's like having you not really know what the bad guys are after uh, is acceptable but when you add that onto a movie that already is so fundamentally broken in terms of explaining its characters and having those explanations actually matter or inform the narrative, it really becomes jarring. The thing is, it feels like it ran out of time because what it is is that you're like going back to like what Jason said that this movie could have started 30 minutes in. Mm -hmm. Had it started 30 minutes in, we could have gotten more or less the movie we got with the ending we got. But it has the dad telling that he's a forensic accountant. It has the first the them blowing up the house. Mm-hmm. It has Tyler Perry showing up mm-hmm. and being like, "You better do this." It and it and it has Angelina Jolie's like backstory with the kid. Um, it's all all it has her buddies. It's all the same moment. It's the kid petting the horse moment mm-hmm. where this movie keeps setting stuff up. That we expect certain answers, right? For example, who is Tyler Perry? Right. Um, oh, are they going to get him? I'm pretty sure the the notebook that the dad gave the kid must be disintegrated by the end of the movie. He's in water. He's he's running around. I don't think this kid can put anybody in jail. He has no information just, by the end. It feels like you actually nailed the even bigger problem. We don't know if they accomplished the thing that the right. movie was about. We don't know if Tyler Perry got taken down or if what this kid, if the the incriminating information actually got to the right people. We don't know any of that because it was never set up as what exactly do they have? Why are these, is it, you know, is it a thumb drive? Is it like, and is it really like this guy honestly couldn't get out from under it? Because you have that weird thing where you alluded to it earlier. These two guys, the two, the two brothers, Hitman brothers, they're trying to cover up a crime. They're mm-hmm. trying to cover up a financial crime where I guess they've decided that this whatever, this millionaire secretly got his money from pff, d- d- drugs, whatever the crime could be. And they established from the very, very first scenes that they are, to, in order to cover up that crime, they're willing to kill the, I guess, the prosecutor, whatever, by exploding his house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they make it look like a gas explosion. So fine. They covered that. Like they made it look like an accident. 
and then that cues off the sky. It's like, oh, they're they're gonna. But the moment they kill him too, somebody's gonna put two and two together. And then in the course of trying to kill him again to try to cover up this financial crime, they kill like a, a random woman that comes past to get her vehicle. They set <laughs> yeah, sure a force. Does. They set a forest on fire. They kill that the old cop. They kidnap another police officer. They try to kill his wife. Like they go on a killing spree in with uh, without disguises in full view of what I'm in, you know, in a vehicle that people would eventually identify. There's cameras everywhere. I mean, this is the modern times. It doesn't take place in the 80s. It, I don't think it does. No, yeah. it's like modern. It, it's a modern movie. It's like they've committed so many worse crimes and because they never made it clear what they're trying to cover up. It's like now the chances of Tyler Perry getting away, there's so many things. He was seen in public meeting with these two guys yeah. who killed a police yeah. officer. Yeah. They tried to kill another police officer, tried to kill the police officer's feet, tried to kill a child, killed killed a, a guy who was a prominent official, forensic accountant. And now you know, they would they were seen in that neighborhood where the prosecutor's house blew up like and this guy's meeting with them in person. It's just, it's, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. And it, that's, yeah. again, from a structure point of view, it needs to make sense. Because we, yes. as the audience, like in Jaws, what the shark is trying to do makes sense. It's trying to eat them. It, it's, <laughs> you, it's, it's important to have that clarity because for the action to work. And so when you see what they're doing, how careless they're being, it's like, well, What's their end game? Is it now just to kill the kid and and her? Like, does that even fix their problem? And the answer is right. no. They've left a trail of corpses. Yeah, they they have a scene with Tyler Perry where he kind of just says like, "You have to try to kill this kid." Yeah, you gotta do why, everything possible. Why spend the money on Tyler Perry? Why not make that scene? A phone call with someone we never hear the voice of. Right. If it wasn't gonna why matter. Why was that? Yeah, why did that scene exist? Well, the only they reason... They had to have a whole new location. Yeah. They had to hire people. They had to go there. They had to shoot all of that. It's to First, establish... It's to establish, like, a dynamic for the two assassins to show that, like, because they, they, they constantly have them complain, like, you should have sent two teams to take out these people simultaneously because the first guy's right. death tipped off the other guy. So they set up like a recurring thing of having them complain about how shittily this this job was booked. And then on top of that, you have a scene where Littlefinger's getting yelled at from Tyler Perry. So it's like they're doing the work to establish that these hitmen are desperate. But when you never tell us what the thing is, and it's on top of all these other things that don't add up and never make sense or are never satisfyingly paid off. It really starts to look like the writers couldn't think of anything uh -huh. that would make because these people do that. It gets to so a point they where they just don't tell us. Yeah. Yeah, it gets to a point where the only thing I was waiting for was to finally find out what, what the it was. Fuck the yeah. Thing was. <laughs> like what it was. Cuz I was like surely Tyler Perry's going to come back at the end. He doesn't. Surely. We never like, see him again. But they do they do a like a die hard two ending. They do the ending where the main action beat is over and therefore the movie is the over movie is and over. the credits yeah. just go. And it was like, wait, there's tons of stuff. Again, they front load the movie with all this stuff that you think has to be paid off, because otherwise why even put it in the movie? And then they, they, they just, just end the don't. movie. They don't pay any of it off. Yeah. It is astounding. Uh, it is <laughs> my god 
So why? <laughs> here I'm going to. It's going to sound like I'm talking about bad special effects, and I'm I'm going to reference bad special effects again. I I actually talked on Twitter about this because there's some effects shots in Army of the Dead that look really really bad, individual, and yeah. there's some stuff stuff that looks great. If you know how movies like this are made, there are many, many, many different special effects houses that are farmed out to do individual shots. This is why sometimes you can have a movie where the creature effects look great, but then the explosions look bad. It's like, well, those were two totally different effects houses working on opposite sides of the world. And in the case of the pandemic, you had people just straight up working from home and with without access to the right workstation and having to send files back and forth. Like, this is high-end stuff that you can't just do over zoom so they were doing their best no doubt but 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 <laughs> angelina jolie's main character motivation is the same as sylvester stallone's in cliffhanger which as all of your audience knows he like felt guilty for letting he like tried to rescue someone and they they died and but it wasn't really his fault but it's okay because you get it like he blames himself you know and it, like he holds himself to a very high standard lots of movies have this we could probably name several far more famous movies than cliffhanger (laughs) that has this motivation (laughs) well but like in die hard the you know the 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 uh, the cop had he had shot yeah yeah, he had shot a child because he had had a toy gun and then in the dark looked realistic and so again it's he's blaming himself but you're it's not like you know i molested a child it's it's something (laughs) it's something where the audience doesn't blame him like you feel bad that he blames himself because in that movie and you know it's like the kid had a realistic gun i just uh, i panicked and i you know and he hates himself for it so you're on his side here she's a smoke jumper which we've been using this term assuming that all listeners know what a smoke jumper is it's you know somebody who fights four fires there and it's very like thrill-seeking dangerous thing where you're dropped in right to the front lines to fight a forest fire. Now, I do not doubt some listeners of this podcast are going to point out that that job is done now by, like, I think, prisoners. A lot of it. They they use convicts to go in and, like, do the uh, – because part of fighting wildfires is cutting down the brush mm-hmm. that's in front of the fire so that it doesn't continue to spread, and that's generally you know what, what they use prisoners for. You know what that's a plot point in? Firestorm. Firestorm. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Um, okay, so her when I kept talking earlier about how the first thirty minutes of the movie is unnecessary, a lot of that is spent setting up her character, which I firmly believe that could have been done on the fly and been done better on the fly. So It'd here you, you yeah. meet her, and she is a those who did not watch any movies made in the nineties. There was a character back then who was the extreme adrenaline junkie, <laughs> right. who. The 90s were the extreme era, and if you can't hear how I'm spelling the word extreme, <laughs> it's the letter X hyphen treme. The 90s were the extreme, they were the extreme era. It's just, if you weren't there, I don't know how, I'm sorry, I can't explain it to you, because you had to experience the extreme. You couldn't just, the basically, right. everything from deodorant to diet soft drinks were all marketed as, this is the extreme option you're living life to the very jagged edge basically this was pre 9-11 and for whatever reason most scholars say that the 9-11 attacks ended the extreme era in american culture 
9-11 happened, we were like, that's extreme enough yeah, for that's, us. Yeah. That was too it, extreme. It, too it was, extreme. Yeah, it was no longer ironic to talk about being... Anyways, so in this movie, Angelina Jolie blames herself for, as you alluded to earlier, earlier she was fighting a fire, um, totally w- w- not her fault, but like the wind shifted and blew the fire their direction. And then there were three children there who she was unable to save. Now... This is a difficult effects shot to pull off. Yeah. Yes. The result is that they clearly filmed three children on a soundstage completely fine in their normal clothes with no wounds or burns or anything. And then just struggled to basically just plop them into a middle of a CGI forest fire. So you have three perfectly clean, fairly not upset children waving, saying, help us, help us. Where you can picture them in like they a sound. They look like they're waiting in line. Where yeah, you basically <laughs> picture them on a sound stage where it may be shot even during lockdown, where the director's just like, just act like you're upset, just wave like you're upset, and the kids don't. They have no context for the fire, what they're doing, anything. It's just three kids like, hey, help us, help us, and so it looks like a Tim and Eric sketch. You have these three <laughs> waving children in the middle of this bad CGI fire. And then Angelina Jolie, like, screaming, like, no, we have to go get them. And then her boss is, like, holding her back, saying, like, no, they're already dead. But in the shot, it looks like they're, like, 10 feet away. And yeah, and perfectly fine so far. They're not on fire. It, it, and they, there's no way, like, with the effects, there's no way to, like, integrate it in. Like, this is a shot that I do not doubt on the page it was this huge set piece where the kids are, are like having hunkered down on the other side of like a wall of flame and there's like no way to get to them. And there's like, and they had to cobble together a shot. Yeah. And then they show it over and over again. They keep <laughs> because, showing it. Because every time she goes to sleep, she has this dream of her failing to rescue these kids. And the shot is so poorly executed that it utterly ruins the entire effect. And the thing yeah. is, all you have to do is cut it. Yeah. In Die Hard, you don't see him shoot the child. You just, in this moment of emotional vulnerability, you hear him tell the story. And this is where the art of acting comes in. <laughs> because as an actor, he sells it. He sells the self-loathing and, and like this, the way he is and the life he's like, why he blames himself. You just need to have her tell the story and you can have her tell that story after the plot has started because you can meet, meet her, see that she's a burnout. She's been demoted. And then this kid finally gets the story out of her. Like, why are you like this? Why do you suck so much? Why don't you care? And she finally reveals, like, oh, I'm I'm worthless, blah, blah, blah. And just tells the story and let her acting ability make us feel that instead right. of... Because it's, it's Angelina Jolie. It's not like she can't act. Like, well, what's right. wild is she does tell the story. She does, yeah. Twice in the movie, someone tells it back to her. There's yeah. one of those, it's not your false seats. Then later, the kid does, she does tell the she story to the kid. the kid. Yeah. And then they show then the scene like three times. <laughs> and it was like, I okay, they really want me to know about this. Like, we and got then it that at doesn't, this point. <laughs> yeah, and it also doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter because at all. Because all... All they're setting up is that she doesn't want a child to die in a fire. Which and she it's shouldn't. Like, you don't need a backstory for exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. This, yeah. okay. 
there are, there's a certain percentage of you out there who are aspiring writers. I know because I hear from you, people listening to this. This is as much a part of structure as anything. It's not just failing to tell people something, but belaboring something they already know is just as bad. Yeah. Because saying, well, her character motivation is to redeem herself because she let these three children die. And so by not letting this child die, but there's no arc there because she yeah. didn't do anything different this time. There's like this one dumb moment where it's like, we have to run through the fire. It's like, that's not the lesson of the movie is that right. no. <laughs> she should have run through the fire. It, it, it's, it's like her, she, they were trying to think of that thing, that dumb thing that everyone, like in the very first screenplay you write, it's like, well, in the opening scene, the main character is like failing to shoot a basketball and then in the final scene, he has to like throw the bomb through a hole that's the size of a basketball hoop. <laughs> and you're you're discussing the movie Steel, I believe, with Shaq. <laughs> yes, <laughs> where he finally has to defeat his personal demons. He has to throw the free throw. <laughs> and the only so, thing yeah. they could think of was like, well, maybe it's a thing where she let a child die, so now she will by by saving this child. But it's like, yeah, but if you're gonna do that. You need to really make it her fault the first time. For example, right. she was drunk on the there job yeah. that first time. Maybe it was kind of her fault. Maybe she actually was, you know, it, maybe they actually did try to tell her, hey, that's the wind's going to shift. It, don't go in there. And maybe she was arrogant and she went in there anyway because it's like, I'm invincible. I'm Angelina Jolie. You know, I, I'm a badass and got the kids killed. Make it a little bit more her fault. Don't have right. every single character in the movie go on and on and say, hey, that was absolutely not your fault. The way you were treated is unfair. You are utterly blameless in every way, uh, you know, because then, then what's the what's her arc? accepting that <laughs> yeah you guys are right literally everyone who's talking to me is right yeah. when i had another opportunity to do the exact same thing i took the exact same actions and this time it worked yeah you're right, right. yeah i made the right. same decisions this time there's nothing wrong with my method anything i just need to learn to stop blaming myself for things that weren't my fault there's the lesson of your movie if, if you're mad yep. at yourself over something you didn't do just go ahead and stop i think I think when you're writing something, producers will often have like big questions and you it's it's easy to not realize that they don't need big answers. Does that make sense? Like I think about the movie Children of Men where like Clive Owen like is a drunk at the beginning of that. It's not it's not his arc. It's not a problem necessarily. He's just drinking. Um, and then about halfway through, he goes to take a drink and starts crying instead um, because something horrible happened. And then near the end, he goes to drink a, take a drink and then realizes he needs to sterilize his hands and pours the bottle on his hands. And that's it's not a huge arc. It's not someone being like, I'm not drinking anymore, but it's showing how a character can progress. Right. It's not a story. It, right. It's not necessarily about his alcoholism. That's about his hope. Yes, and you could see a like I don't think it's a weird example for producer notes because I don't know how many producer notes were on that movie. Right. But like, if a producer was like, "We want to see something, a change in this character like that," there's an easy way to do it really badly, and that was just these little moments that you notice, and it's enough. It doesn't. It's, just, it's enough. They don't have to be loud. Yeah. It just has to be there. Uh, and, and I'm. 
this same feel- with setting up a character. Yeah, this you could. S- oh, Sorry. go ahead. I was just gonna say you can set up Angelina Jolie like we're saying with like a shot. You could set up everything we need to know about her with a shot or two. Right. Uh, uh, her at the fire watch, uh, fire tower, drunk, like down on her luck. Like that's yeah. all we need. Yeah. Um, what I was gonna say is. There's an additional idea. Jason mentioned it earlier about we don't know how many, you know, how many notes Angelina's people had or anybody else's people had. And like stuff like this, I can't say for certain, but definitely feels like we're talking about producer notes. That feels like a note, right? Like that feels like somebody's like, well, we can't have Angelina be that unlikable. Nobody will like her. So it's like they want to have the broken protagonist, but when you get to the level, of like a Will Smith or like an Angelina Jolie. They frequently have people whose only job is to protect their image. And it's like, right. well, we can't have Will Smith do something where he's unlikable, even if that's what would be better for the character. Like so that the, very often is something that happens. In the Fast and the Furious series, where all these actors have notes that their character can't ever lose a fight. Yes. <laughs> and so they just have to like fight to a draw every time, or they'll have, they'll like fight and then the ground underneath Jason Statham's feet will break and he'll fall through a hole. It's like, well, he technically didn't lose the fight. It was just, yes. or, yeah. or like he and the rock and Jason Statham will fight. And then eventually the rock will have to like jump out of a window to save somebody. And that ends the fight because he can't, neither of them can lose. And, and it's like, you don't realize how much they have to write the movie around the fact that they, it's like, no, it, the, the rock can never like just hit the ground and be injured in a fight. It always has to be the other guy like gets away or jumps out off the roof or whatever. And that's, that's yeah. how he loses quote unquote, is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in order, I think in order to, cause the, like in order to not have to deal with that, you have to be a filmmaker that they really trust. I remember the making of 12 monkeys, Terry Gilliam gave Bruce Willis a list of things he didn't want to see Bruce Willis do that he did in his action movies. Like it's literally the opposite where Terry Gilliam could be like, Hey, Bruce Willis, if you want to be in this Terry Gilliam film, you can't do any of this stuff. And you can see, and it's like, what are you going to do? Not be in the Terry Gilliam film? No. Right. Terry Gilliam film. You could see the, there's a, a behind the scenes clip you can watch where it's it's Bruce Willis like pushing back. There's a scene where Madeline Stowe yeah. kicks him and he's like, well, I don't think like Madeline Stowe's like half my size. I don't think he, she'd be able to knock me over. And Gilliam's just like, no, this is what's happening. Yeah, this is. Yeah, we're not we're not making. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see this is a deviation, but did you ever see the Paul Newman film? Nobody's fool. Of course. We talk about it all the time. Yes, we do. <laughs> Bruce Willis is in that movie, and it's like a family, you know, it's he plays Paul Newman's boss. There's a scene where Paul Newman fantasizes throwing Bruce Willis out of a window that doesn't need to be in the movie, and I'm convinced it's because Bruce Willis was like, I gotta do a stunt, you guys. <laughs> like, you gotta give me a stunt. It's like this. It's like this drama movie where Bruce Willis gets launched out of a window in one scene. And I think it's exclusively because Bruce Willis was like, look, guys, I'm Bruce Willis. <laughs> With that, it's, can we talk about the parachute scene? Sure. <laughs> yeah. We've hit, we've hit all my notes, so <laughs> anything else you want to talk about, let's do it. We really yeah. could have just talked about the parachute scene and scrapped the rest <laughs> of the podcast. But I'm going to talk about structure. So in the 90s extreme era of movies, 
you had to have a scene where the one the, one of the extreme characters does something incredibly reckless. If, for example, in the movie Navy Seals, like uh, Charlie Sheen's character is like in a convertible in the back of a convertible driving over a bridge, and to he just jumps out of the car into the the ocean off the Golden Gate Bridge, and the characters driving the car are briefly like stunned, but they don't not worry that he's dead, even though in real life like that's. Yeah, he'd be you know, extremely dead. He'd be extremely, right. it'd be extreme, extremely dead. Right. Ex- <laughs> be on his death extreme, certificate. Least, yeah, <laughs> extreme. Um, <laughs> but it, it, was, it was just, it was understood at the time that it's like, oh, you're watching a goofy extreme movie and that like the character's a thrill seeker and the whole thing was supposed to be, you learn partway through the movie that they're kind of, they don't care about their own safety because they're haunted. I don't remember what Charlie Sheen was haunted by, but hugely there's that in there. It's like, well, the reason this person jumps into burning, the movie Backdraft probably had that character. I don't remember, but it's like, well, the reason they're they're willing to jump yeah. into the fire first is because they don't care, and their wife has divorced him, or they let their their child has died. It's like they don't care. He's, and he's haunted by his dead, exploded dad in Backdraft, but yeah, it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah, there you go. And so, and as a result, they do this thrill-seeking, reckless behavior that, of course, is incredibly sexy, and that's why every actor wanted that. So, in this movie, in a script that reads, it seems like it was written in 1992, Angelina Jolie has to establish for the audience that she is extreme and also doesn't care about her own life. Which of you would like to describe what she does to demonstrate this to the audience? I'll give it to Dave. I did did the plot. (coughs) Okay, fine. Although it sounds like you're choking to death. What's happening? A little bit. A little bit. I'm all right. (coughs) I drink water bad. You know, God, you know God, that thing that humans do. Yeah, that we can still occasionally uh, do, even though we've done it thousands of times <laughs> yeah, throughout exactly. our lives. Is we can still she, fuck up drinking. Okay. <laughs> she gets in the back of a, I believe, a truck, mm-hmm. um, and she wears a parachute. And her friends at the bar are like, "Oh shit, she's gonna do it!" I forget exactly what the lines are, and they drive down this windy road with trees on either side. Uh, and I thought she was going to like parasail uh, behind a truck because that would be extreme or jump uh, off a cliff off the side of or a cliff. jump off. a Yeah. Or jump off a cliff um, or I don't know, ride the truck off the side of a bridge like in triple X. Uh, but no, she she releases the parachute from the back of the truck, uh, which just yanks her in the air briefly before she just eats shit on the side of the road just spins out and she and she crashes and it she gets hurt and then she's like oh god yeah i forgot how much that hurt and it's like you do this all the time apparently and that was the goal of the thing she was doing like it didn't go wrong she just falls like 10 feet off the side just falls in the ditch basically on the side of the road and, th- and then the- and then she gets arrested for it because I guess that's illegal. Well, she she snaps out of the back of a pickup truck and starts helicoptering violently across a country highway before crashing into the tree line. She could definitely, if she slammed into another car. Yeah. There's a lot I mean, of ways that I didn't could have go any, wrong. I didn't have any question as to why the Punisher was arresting her. I was like, yeah, that's probably... <laughs> what What state What state are, does this take place in? Is it... F- uh, like Florida, Florida or something? It's like 
Florida no, or Georgia? Florida, it starts in Florida. It starts but in it Florida. It doesn't. It's it's Tennessee. Uh, like, like, <sighs> oh no, I think it's like Wyoming type area. What the fuck? I, really? I thought yeah, they were in like the East Coast, like of the Appalachia. No, it, oh. like I don't. Again, the fact that we don't literally we do no not idea. know what part of the country. It was my impression that this was a part of the country where you ah, would Montana, not, you, Montana. Okay, it, I would be very surprised. And if there's anyone who in the listenership who knows the law, I would be surprised if what she did is illegal in Montana. That might that might be legal in Montana. Um, uh. But in terms of like establishing, well, she doesn't care about her own life. She's basically trying to. And then John Bernthal to make it clear in case you didn't get it, because a lot of people they know a lot of people watching this that have not seen an extreme movie character before, because we've we left that behind, unfortunately. Yeah, that it's real they. Shame. That they, he has to tell her to her face, hey, I know that you're secretly trying to kill yourself by doing this extreme behavior, even though it's it kind of doesn't seem like that was all that dangerous for an action movie. Like I get in, I get if you like if Tom, if you saw David oh, yeah. do this exact thing. <laughs> yeah. All I could think, think about was, oh, she'd be killed immediately. <laughs> right. yeah. but, but, but the then, fact that. In oh, an sorry. action movie that starring John Berthold, you would not see this. You right. Know, it's you, like getting you, shot in the yeah. arm in an action movie. Like right. in real We're, life, it's like, oh, that's a fucking problem. But in an action they, movie, you're like, ah, I'm fine. They also refer to it as something she does all the time or that yeah. they do. So, like, yeah, a good, uh, like, I think of the movie, like, Murder at 1600 at the beginning. There's a guy who's, like, threatening to kill himself with a gun. And Wesley Snipes just, like, walks up to him. And he points the gun at And it's supposed to establish, oh, he's a badass. And then, of course, he he. I think he punches the guy and says, "Like the gun is on, uh, not loaded." Like he he. You learn, oh, he's clever. Like movies love doing this. Um, the idea of establishing that she's suicidal, I didn't get that at all. No. I just thought, oh, she's because stupid. She oh, is a that. trained parachuting firefighter. She knows how to land safely. Yeah. From a parachute. Like, this is her entire job. She's been trained extensively. She has, she knows how to fall. She knows how to do all of this stuff. So, if you're trying to demonstrate, oh my gosh, she is nuts, it is so incredibly tame that, like, I don't doubt that there are YouTubers out there who have attempted more dangerous stunts <laughs> for like 40,000 views and $13 in ad revenue. Right. From AdSense. And the idea that this is supposed to establish that how off the rails she is is so weird. And again, it is entirely possible. If Angelina Jolie, if you listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. if you if you if you're one of the, the patrons, if you want to comment and explain, well, that actually they had scheduled a much, much bigger set piece, but because of the pandemic, right. we did this much smaller version of it or whatever. But Again, you inserted that scene to be an action beat because the first 30 minutes of your movie has no action. So that's supposed to be the thing to like perk us up because up till then we've just listened to like firefighters talk to one another. And it's just, it's like such an anticlimax is like, oh, is that, it's very sad and very weird. And again, it could have been cut like once you saw the yeah. final shot and you realize how unimpressive it is same thing with the kids in the forest right like fine the shot doesn't look good just cut it you can cut it you don't need this because anything you want to establish about her being reckless or not caring about her own life you can do that on the fly and yeah. let the audience be surprised by it 
Like this kid has stumbled across, like, you know, you want to set up like he's run into both the best and worst possible version he could run into in this situation. That's how these movies are supposed to work, right? Yeah. So you can, in the course of the action, once the tension has started, the kid is on the run. We are worried about his safety. The bad guys are on their heels. Now you can establish on the fly, show her doing something totally nuts. That she has no self-regard for her safety. And then we can learn that. We don't need cocaine. Yeah, we yeah. didn't need to. We didn't need to see that beforehand. Like, well, it's all to establish her character. It's like, yeah, but that didn't. One, it didn't do it, and two, it didn't make us like her better or anything. There's John Bernthal says to her, like, maybe Firewatch will calm you down, and she says, well, maybe I'll jump. You know what? Start with her thinking about jumping off the tower. Like, have the kid find her in that situation or something like that like there's so there's so many ways they could have done that yeah without her having to just say it and without a scene where he arrests her and arrests her for being too extreme yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. oh man i miss these i miss i miss these movies but this is such a a poorly executed version of those movies it's not so it did did not scratch that itch that i wanted it to be yeah um, it's too bad. It, it seems like yeah. the type of movie that is hard to mess up. I know that, that that's a dumb thing to say. I know that to make a good movie, you need so many things to come together just right. This, if you are interested in writing, if you're interested in story structure, interested in this kind of thing, this is actually a good movie to watch. Because in seeing what it gets wrong, it's actually really instructive. Because this, to me, like I'm not motivated to write by reading good writing that actually discourages me because like well i'll never match this yeah uh, so i read bad writing gets like well hell this got published <laughs> like yeah i can do i can do this it's and this is the type of thing where if you're thinking about screenwriting you want to know more about the art form this is really instructive because you can see what's wrong with it like it shows the seams it shows the stuff that's this kind of broken in it and you can be like, oh, well, why Why did we need that? Why did we need this? Why Why couldn't we have had a thing where, I don't know, like if John Bernthal's character was destined to, to die tragically, why couldn't he have sacrificed himself in like this badass moment where he, like that moment where he tells the two bad guys, like, you know what? No, just shoot me. I'm not going to lead you to this kid. Screw you. Just shoot me. If they just shot him. Yeah. To establish how badass they are and establish that he like meant it, like he wasn't just talking trash. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Do it. I would right, literally gonna... rather just die here than than just leave right. you through the woods. To right, because keeping him alive after that point did not impact the narrative. Like he's in the movie for another half hour, but he doesn't do anything. No, like... not a, not in the least. Uh, he has no so... impact on the story. So you will find yourself, if you're like me, if you're somebody who writes on the side, writes for fun, whatever, if you just criticize movies for fun, you'll find yourself actually thinking about this movie a lot. Because you'll think about other, so many interesting things they could have done, so many fun things with the premise, so much of the fact that, like, why did it have to be the bad guys that started the forest fire? Why couldn't it have been, like, the reason she's on the scene is because there's already a forest fire. Like they're already, you know, and, and so this fire is threatening to come sweep through everything. And then all of the stuff that happens is happening under this ticking clock of a forest fire that because like the bad guys don't want the forest fire to burn everything up because they're going to lose their evidence or whatever they're after, you know, so they, they've got to do their thing, like make that a ticking clock. Whereas yeah. here it's like, yeah. it kind of doesn't, 
matter like it kind it does, of doesn't yeah that was one of my main notes was how little the fire matters and and what you're saying just like clicked one like final criticism that i just realized that i had about this movie and it just didn't gel until this moment like the the using the elements as a device in a movie like this like firestorm or like cliffhanger part of the idea is like or, or like I'm, I'm, I'm pulling all of these uh, uh, familiar touchstones for people like uh, Crocodile Dundee 2. Yeah. Um, part of the point of having the, uh, the action, like putting an action thriller into an extreme survival situation like this is to tip the balance of power in favor of the hero. Like in a normal circumstance, you would assume that two professional assassins would kill any of these people with no problem, right? Because that's what they do. Uh, yeah. But like in like Cliffhanger or Firestorm, the fact that they're in this extreme situation, they're out of their element. Like they're, they don't know what to do, which is what allows the heroes to have a fighting chance against them. Because the idea is that in all of these movies, the hero is just a regular, more or less a regular person. Like Angelina Jolie, right. obviously... Smoke jumping is an is an extreme job that requires specialized training, but she's not like trained to fight people, right? And maybe, like, I bet there was a note that was like her knowledge of being a firefighter, yeah, should come into play exactly. And so they had her kill someone with a fire axe. You know what I mean? Like they it's didn't. Not they even, didn't it's a quite, climbing axe. Yeah. They didn't, oh, you're right. It's not it's even a, a fucking axe. fire axe. By the way, uh, anybody want to guess how many producers there were oh, God. for this movie? I don't need to guess because I'm looking at it. But <laughs> <How many>? 18. <laughs> 18 producers. Okay. Five production companies made this movie. Okay, so all of the... Um, is Angelina Jolie, get, did she get a producer credit? Oh, yeah. Tyler Perry did, which explains oh, why Tyler okay. Perry is in it. Because Tyler Perry's like, let's have a scene with the bad guy. I'll play the bad guy. And then you pay me to play the bad guy. Like, uh, it's that's got to be that, right? Because he doesn't need to be in the movie. Let me let me uh, t take what you just said, though. And again, for any aspiring writers out there, anybody, or just interested in the art of storytelling. If you set a movie in a specific subculture... Whether it's it's a mafia movie, whether it's your main character is an archaeologist, or or into you know is is a a guy who resurrects dinosaurs for a living, little factoids and stuff about that subculture are like half the entertainment value. I don't care that all of the archaeology in Indiana Jones is fake; that that's not right. how it really works. It is part of half of what makes that character so incredibly cool is all of the archaeology stuff like solving these little puzzles, looking at the, the cave painting and figuring out what it means and then figuring out, like getting that staff and this, you know, finding that scale model of, of the arc of that city and all that and like putting that puzzle together. This is the entire appeal of police procedurals, seeing the cool little things they figure out with the evidence and analyzing the evidence and putting the puzzle together, figuring out how to trick people when they talk to them in the interrogation. It doesn't matter that it's all fake or that it's all romanticized. Mm -hmm. That's what's interesting about it. They're professionals. They know stuff you don't. Jurassic Park, the, the people that know about like genetics and dinosaurs and, and you hear the science talk. I don't care that the science talk is all junk. It doesn't matter. It's interesting, and it's a core part of the, the movie, even though it's it's a popcorn thriller about dinosaurs coming back to life. That All of this stuff about 
like the details about how they they went out of their way to breed them to to not be able to reproduce and then having the little factoid that there's some frogs in nature that if there's not males around they will become females and stuff like that like all of that little science and stuff thrown in there that's what's cool about it and in like the early fast and furious movies i think that's why in before they became it became a superhero franchise i think that car people liked that about those movies the car stuff seeing the different models of cars and all that stuff you know baby driver the stuff about the driving techniques and how he learned and all that stuff here they clearly make a show of this being about smoke jumpers and that job and being in that subculture. Like the first thing you see is her like hanging out with her other smoke jumpers, seeing the, the jokes they make, making fun of the cop and, and, and all that stuff. And then none of it impacts the movie at all. For example, she is demoted to Firewatch sitting in a tower waiting to see a fire start. When a forest fire finally starts in the movie, she does not spot it. She sure doesn't. She runs into it, like sees it in right in like, oh my gosh, there's a forest fire. Her <laughs> entire job, her only job <laughs> is spotting forest fires like 100 miles away. There should have been a scene where she like sees like a deer running and says, there's a fire. Yes, this is, it is very weird that they give her the lookout tower and then later, I think John Berthal spots the fire. He spots the fire driving on the highway, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you'd think the action's going to start by her spotting the fire, nope. becoming involved, and caring about the fire. Nope. She doesn't care. She just sees the kid. Utterly unconcerned and, about the fact that her superiors and coworkers don't know about this fire or that she's like, it, it's just, yeah. a, it's like not part of her life at all. It's just an obstacle for her. Uh, yeah, that is wild. Similarly, they have the survival school, the the John um, Berthal's pregnant wife, and they establish she's a survivalist. Never matters. Nope. None of that. None of those things. She uses the survival skill that is lighting someone on fire with bear mace, <laughs> and then riding a horse the fuck out of there, and and then not really mattering. To someone the plot. is going to say, "Well, now wait a second. She and the boy survive at the end because she uses right. her smoke jumper skill to to rescue him. Okay, if the three of us were in a forest and it was on fire and we came across a creek, what would we do? Like, we know we can't outrun the fire. Even if knowing nothing about this, I'm guessing we would get in the water. Yeah. Because fire can't burn water. And then right. we would just try to like submerge ourselves as much as possible, and we'd be looking at each other like, "Is this going to work?" And be like, "I don't know, but what, what yeah. else do you what else do you want to do? Like, it's a forest fire; all this is going to burn. It, it, the fire moves like 100 miles an hour. We're not going to outrun it, so let's just get in the water as much as possible and and dunk as much of our bodies underwater as much as we can, and just without accidentally drowning ourselves. That's all she does." She tells the boy, like, okay, yeah, get in the water and then get under and come up for a breath and just try to stand as much as you can, which is what the kid would have done on his own if she yes. hadn't been there. It's the, the only thing you would think to do. It's like water, fire, fire, I'm water. I'm going to get in the like, water. Yeah, water wet. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe it'll, like, boil me alive, but it's, it's what else am I going to do? I have no yeah. other yeah. options. So even there... Like all these little, like that's the first thing you do in punching up a script like this is you Google like an interview with a smoke jumper, which if you're writing a script, you could interview a guy, but fine. Let's say you can't even do that. 
you just Google some like an interview with a guy and learn some interesting stuff about the job. Like, mm-hmm. and so give her like a supernatural ability to detect Maybe. that a fire has started like through something that you would never suspect. Not, not yeah. smelling smoke, just something about like the way the leaves fall to the ground. It's like, that's, that's convection. Like that there's a fire, or, there's a fire three miles that way. The smoke is not visible yet, but I'm telling you there's a fire. Like that'd be cool. It, like I don't even care if yeah. it's fake. Give us something that it, where the fact that she's a smoke jumper impacts her character and the story in some way. Have you know what they they established the fucking the truck trick? Uh, yeah, have her parachute out of there. Have her have to like smoke jump off a cliff to get away with the kid or something. something. Have that matter? Instead, she says, "I looked the fire right in the eye at the end." Like that's a thing. Yeah, and barely. And then, she, like she, she's a she, fire she, nerd. She doesn't at the end, interact with like, the fire at all. Yeah, no. <laughs> we were lucky enough to be near water, and so we got in the water. Yeah, which is it. what yeah. a it. tourist would do if they yeah. like. You could have the, her just have run into a random person, like just in the woods, out for a walk, and this looks the same because again, the way she overcomes the bad guys is just by hitting him with an axe over and over. Well, that's anybody could do that. Like yeah. that's it didn't she didn't learn how to do that in smoke jumper school i, I hope not i hope that's never come up before uh so uh, uh, yeah there could have been no fire in this movie uh she didn't have to be a smoke jumper nope most of the people they didn't even have to have the relationships they had no he didn't have to be the uncle uh none of that mattered it would make we more ha- it would make more sense if he had no relationship with them yeah Absolutely. It is. Uh, it, it's it's what we said. It's a movie that sets up all this stuff. And then by the time it's done setting it up, the movie's over. Yep. And they forgot to do the movie. <laughs> it's a really long first act. Yeah. Of a movie. It's, it almost comes up as like an episode of a TV series about like where they kind of are limited in budget and you're kind of like. You know, and then so like in this episode, they have to get this kid to safety. And then next week, it'll be a different fire and a different thing they have to overcome. Uh, It's just very, it's very, uh, and I'd be curious if this book, I've not looked closely enough. Is it like a series about these smoke jumpers or about, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We're getting to that point Um, that I'm going to ask people if they have any final thoughts. I okay. Final thought. Yeah. Why is it called "Those Who Wish Me Dead"? Because the book is. Because <laughs> the book is okay. Because that's Got a it. terrible title. That's a bad title yeah, for a movie. I bet. I bet it makes sense in the book. I'm sure I, it does. I, I want. I want you to recommend what would be a better uh, title for for this movie. I don't know. Uh, Firestorm. Firestorm. <laughs> Firestorm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not like it's going to create confusion in the marketplace about. Oh, well, now wait a no. second. Is this the Howie Long film? That, like right. the Howie Long film that came out twenty three years yeah. ago. It's on the tip or, of every Are they bringing lips. it back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or or just Firewatch, which is a video game. It's a video but who game, cares? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, titled done. You, you know, when you title a movie, those who wish me dead, it's when you are thinking it's going to be like an Oscar movie. Like it's going to yeah. be like a, that this is like your nomad land. This is like, a, you know, the actual hard reality of, uh, but yeah, that's not this, that's not this movie. It's, no, especially coming from the writer of, you know, 
hell or high water you're like oh it's like a you you would look at the title in a similar way and and assume that the movie would be about a similar thing that that movie is about it is not right it is not either of those things so anyway <laughs> I, I do not want to dissuade anybody from watching it if you've got hbo max it's free it, go ahead and go ahead and watch it. it it's uh if you if you like it that's fine but otherwise i think it's it's an interesting case because these are people that all knew what they were doing all have good resumes all of them know what a good movie looks like they all know what good yep. acting looks like. They all know what good special effects look like. Uh, and instead, they came up with this. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a curiosity. I, would, I saw it and immediately emailed these, <laughs> these guys say, no, you're not gonna be, we're not going to be talking about any of the other blockbusters coming out this week. I want to talk about this horrible movie because yeah. uh, it, it is. It, it, it was bad in a, in a way that was both interesting and unexpected. I will give it that. Yes. It, it's one of those movies. It's like when we did Best Bad Movie on The Master of Disguise. It's one of those movies where I'm like, watch this movie if you want to see how everything can go wrong. Yeah. And if you like, from a writing perspective, there's just this big like, why? And I don't blame the screenwriter because as we pointed out, there's so many producers and people throwing in their ideas. And so you you want to like deconstruct what went wrong when watching this it, it, it just and like jason said this is a super instructive if you're just looking for all the things like well this movie not yeah. only is a good example of what not to do but you can like the movie also does a pretty good job of explaining why these things are the things you don't want to do yeah 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 for sure i would uh i've said it before there there's a series of documentaries or podcasts that i wish existed but cannot exist where they would go to like big famous failures and do like an oral history, like getting people to be very frank on the record. And I would like, I would love, I would straight up sit down and watch a, a 90 minute feature on what went wrong with this movie. Not, not, not a bunch yeah. of people hyping it up, but people yeah. being very, very frank and saying, look, the original script was this. We decided that wouldn't work for this reason. We got John Bernthal for this minor role, but because it was him, we thought, well, we should open up that, like, we should inflate that role a little bit. But in the end, it kind of didn't come to anything. We didn't want a case where he was rescuing the woman. Like, that seemed kind of sexist, so we didn't want him to come to her rescue. But, but like, in explaining where it went wrong, I think that would actually be really instructive. I would I would watch a daily, month-long Thing explaining the making of that la the last Star Wars movie um, that was yes. the Rise of Skywalker, where they're explaining like again if in, in some alternate universe where they could be totally frank about it and say, look, the first movie did well. You know, we, they took a risk by giving the second movie to Ryan Johnson, didn't make as much money as they're expecting, and then J.J. Abrams coming for the third one and expl explaining step by step how they had to cobble together plot elements in the editing room, how they had this, to, yeah. to reshoot. Like, look, there was an entire subplot where we had to take bits of it where actors are seen from behind and like redub dialogue <laughs> to oh, yeah. and all the tricks they, that they're trying to pull together this movie and pull together the series and all the pressure they were under. I think that would be fascinating, mm -hmm. but it's only about bad movies. I don't care how your good movie was made. Yeah. I think there'd be more to learn about all of these well-meaning people who are all experts top of their industry and how you can still make trash. Jason, might might I suggest the making of Batman and Robin? I was going to say, you. there's a reason why <laughs> one of the my favorite DVDs uh, that I own is the two-disc 
DVD and slash the Blu-ray of uh, Batman and Robin because that's what yeah. the making of feature on Batman and Robin is. It's just everyone being extremely candid about it. Yeah, it's great. nobody. It's one of my favorite making of things I've ever seen. Yeah. I would also suggest the making of uh, accidentally Star Wars Episode One. Yes. You can really <laughs> yeah. see it all go wrong. Yeah, Empire and of Dream. Can, well, not Empire of yeah. Dreams. Um, yeah, they're not even they're not even being frank. You can just see it all go wrong, yeah. and you understand. Oh, okay, that explains a lot. Yeah, because my position um, is usually the people who were involved could speak to it better than any critic could. Like yeah. if, they, if they were really in a position to not have to protect George Lucas or not have to protect because you don't want to come off like you're crapping on anybody, but if they could do a true post mortem and say, "Look, here's why this," you know, like the tone was came off all wrong in certain scenes and the tone, like explaining why what they were going for i think it would make you want to go back and watch those movies again like i don't even think it would ruin yeah. those movies i know that you get very rare circumstances with like batman and robin where like maybe they just are a point where they don't care or, or whatever but uh, yeah, I, I I would find that really interesting, and it would make me. I think it would make us all smarter. I can't. It would make movies better because it would yeah. other people wouldn't repeat those mistakes and say, "Yeah, look, it's hard when you've got twenty seven producers who all think they have they have a creative voice in how the movie turns out." It's like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to make something coherent in that situation. Yeah, it would make the movie even more worth it. Uh, yeah. See, and I hope this episode of this podcast has made, <laughs> yeah. has enhanced no, I, it. I, I, think, I think we got something here. I think this is an oh, episode. Oh, yeah. I, sh- I should have said this at the top of this. People don't need to watch the movie to have listened to this episode. A lot of the times we're like, go watch the movie first. This is not that no. case. I mean, watch the movie if you feel like watching the movie. But, like, you didn't have to have watched the movie for this. Well, but now you can if you've listened now to all this. Can. Now you'll be able to watch it and be like, I can, uh, and and you'll and you'll have more fun watching for the stuff we talked for. We talked. I, about. I right. fully believe that without without irony, I feel like it would. It, before you could watch it and come away as like, ah, oh, that was kind of trash. Now, it, watch it. See see where it goes wrong. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. Well, um, I think I think I'm gonna call it. I think that's a sewed. But. Uh, Ah, Jason, thank you so much for uh, uh, insisting that we do this. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, as always, I my only source of income is, is selling my books. The last book is called Zoe Punches the Future and the Dick. You can find it wherever books are sold, uh, or you can just Google my name and find me on the social media platforms. Uh, the next book is out next year. I'm writing it now, but yes, if... If for some reason listening to me in these episodes makes you want to read fiction written by me, uh, go to it. Go read the user reviews. They're pretty strong. Yes, absolutely. Um, um, in my mind, uh, you hate read like every Dan Brown book. Like that's your main inspiration. <laughs> As you mentioned earlier, like I, I only read terrible things that like because good books but don't. A tremendous, me. a tremendous example of taking people inside of a fake subculture and making it enjoyable to read. Because all that stuff about the guy who's what's what's the fake job that the the main Dan Brown guy He's has? Like He's a, a symbologist. Sim, a symbologist, and <laughs> the world of symbology. It totally, totally <laughs> fake. Not not a thing at all. There's no such job. But it's uh, there's like a new interesting factoid, a piece of trivia in every other paragraph, and, and it it makes you feel smart. Everything he's saying is wrong. 
doesn't matter. It's fun to go inside like a fake subculture. Like that's yeah, learn that from Dan Brown. Put make your characters. It, it makes the reader feel smart. That's that. That was Michael Crichton's entire career. Like oh yeah, none of the stuff, none of the science in Jurassic Park is real. That it sounds real. It sounds like you can find a mosquito captured in amber and it sucked the, the dinosaur's blood. And so you've got dinosaur DNA. It sounds like that would work. Why not? Yeah. Learning is really uh, rewarding and interesting when you're just making shit up yeah. to learn. Like, uh, yeah, I love I love Michael Crichton for that reason. It all feel you feel accomplished. You're like, I know something. Today. Well, because he'd have like, he'd, yeah. he'd have enough real science like dipped in whatever bullshit he was yeah shaping it around that it's like i could kind of see why this could make sense oh it's why i enjoyed the world war z book because they do the same thing exactly yeah that is a perfect example the science of zombies and it's done from such a smart point of view that's like yeah, I've learned something about zombies today. It's like, no, you yeah. haven't. But yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway, so again, I've, I have again made the podcast even longer than it was before. But Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> Dave, you tell them about our stuff. Now, longer yeah. than the movie that we were reviewing, once again, I think. Oh my God, oh, it yeah, is. It is. It's, we've, we've hit the exact length of the film now. <laughs> oh, every time we got to aim for that. Um uh, let me tell people about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Gamefully Unemployed. If you go on there, you can find some exclusive podcasts like Tom and Jeff Watch Batman and Fox Mulder is a Maniac. We have a new podcast, monthly podcast that we share with the Small Beans Network, which is Star Trek The Next Futurama, uh, where we're going through Star Trek episodes and Futurama episodes and pairing them together. Uh, so yeah, check that out. We also watch movies every Friday night with our patrons. That's another tier you can check out. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah. So go. We also have a store at tbubble.com slash store slash gameplay employed where you can get t-shirts, masks, mugs, stickers, posters, all kinds of things. Check that out. Um, yeah, I mean, we're probably going to, I think we've watched it before, but we're probably going to watch Firestorm again some Friday night. I mean, of course Why we wouldn't are. we? Why wouldn't we? I think we've watched Cliffhanger two or three times already, so. Yeah, there's no reason not to watch Firestorm at least once a year right? honestly yeah yes that will always be in one of my top five favorite Howie Long movies 